is so good. He is so good. It's good to be with you all here this morning. Uh, if uh, this is your first week, if you haven't made it, we're in the middle of a series called What's Love Got to Do With It? What's Love Got to Do With It? This is week two, and, you know, this is February, the season of love, you know. It's not just a Hallmark holiday. It's not just, you know, this thing. Love really should be central to our understanding of who Jesus is, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. And so we're talking about what it means to live out this love in our relationships. And so if you've uh, ever been to maybe a, a wedding or maybe it was your even your wedding, chances are this passage of Scripture that we're walking through over these three weeks you've heard, read, or uh, you've read it yourself. And uh, in my Bible, it actually says at the heading of that passage, it says, uh, the way of love. So let's look at that again this morning as we begin. It's 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. It's in uh, our New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's uh, Bibles on the back table that you're welcome to grab. And otherwise, um, you can just listen this morning to this, uh, to this passage being read. But I invite you to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, but I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful to be in your house this morning, to be with your people. And I would just ask, Lord, as we gather here today, that we would be able to sit at your feet and that your spirit would speak to our hearts and, and that your transformative work would even be at work here right now. Lord, it's, uh, it's this pattern we have as your believers to as your followers, as your children, to, to come here week after week. And yet, Monday through Saturday, there's all kinds of things happening in the lives of the people gathered here. There's relationship problems. There's things in our lives that are giving us anxiety. There's people in this room right now who are sick, physically, emotionally, mentally. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing upon them in Jesus' name. Lord, our country's sick. Watch the, we just watch the news and we can be broken down and see that this world is in desperate need of a Savior. 
we thank you so much that we know who he is. And Lord, we just pray. We pray for our country. We pray for our leaders. Lord, we pray for Haiti this morning. We pray for what's happening there. But Lord, we're so thankful that in spite of the storms, that even through the storms, as we just sang, that you're the cornerstone, that you're the foundation that we can put our faith upon, that we can shift our eyes from our circumstances, shift our eyes from the struggles of life, not to ignore them, but to look upon the Savior who will carry us through them and in whose name we will overcome. So now, Lord, we look to you. And I ask that as we look at your word, as we look at what you say about love, that we'd be able to take it, we'd be able to apply it, and that because of us applying what you have called us to in our very lives, that we would be transformed to look more and more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So I shared last week that, you know, love is, you know, this, this great thing, but one of the difficulties about love if we're honest, is that if two people love each other, whether they're, they're married or they're dating or they're brother and sister or they're brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of what the relationship is, if there's two people that love each other, there's always going to be a problem in that relationship. And you know the reason why that is? It's because you're involved in it. Yeah, so am I. We're all involved in it. And I said last week that we have this issue inside of us, this thing that keeps us to be bent against our relationships going well. They have constantly get in the way of love working out the best way possible. And it's this, this ge genetic disorder that we all have that the scripture calls sin. Sin, yes. This, we're bent away from following how God says we're to live our lives. And we're bent towards doing things our own way. In fact, if we're really honest with one another, and if you're honest with yourself this morning, the reason why you have problems with the people you love is because you have selfishness in your heart. That's another word for sin. And the way that selfishness usually works in our interpersonal relationships is by asking the question in our relationships, well, what's in it for me? And if we're not careful, we can approach our relationships with another person sometimes or even have struggle, struggle in our relationships with other people because we ask the question, what's in it for me? Well, how is this going to benefit me? And we put ourselves first rather than the person we're supposed to be loving. And so last week I asked the question, and I posed the question that maybe helped you this week in those places, in those spaces, in those times when you become me-centered, when you start to have strife in your relationships, ask the question, what's the cost of love for me in this relationship, in this moment? Because we pay a cost in love. We give up ourselves for the people we love, not because they deserve it, but because the model of who showed us what love really is, is Jesus. And we talked about a few scriptures last week where scripture is very clear that what is love, who is love, God is love, and that Jesus showed us what love was most by laying his life down for you and for me as an atoning sacrifice. He put aside his, his divinity and he came as a form of a human being so that he would be able to surrender all his power, all his strength, and die on a cross. That's how much he loved. 
And so that cost, that picture of love is why we are focused on love, and that's why we can pay a cost for love. So today what I want to do on, in this message this morning is, as we continue through 1 Corinthians 13, talk more about this question and how we can answer this question in a very practical way. What's a very practical way that we can answer this question and live it out in our relationships, a way that you could live it out in your relationships this week. Now this letter that we're reading, 1 Corinthians, it's not just a book, or it's just not a, a, a heading in a book or a, another section of this book. It's a, it's a letter written by a man named Paul to a church in a real place called Corinth. And Corinth was a place that Paul planted a church there and people came to know Jesus and became followers of Jesus and they started gathering together. And I shared this last week, they started gathering together and they started worshiping God and serving God together. And you know what, when two or more are gathered, God is there, but he's also, there, you know it's also there? Conflict. Conflict's there. Yeah. Believe it or not, there are some churches where people don't get along sometimes. I said, I know, for us, for us here at Palmyra Grace, it blows our mind. But sometimes, that's what happens in church. And so there was conflict in the church in Corinth. In fact, there was division against them all. People were taking sides, and they had this arrogance about them. People in the congregation were one-upping one another. Yeah, one-upping one another. We love people that one-up us, right? Don't we? No, <laughs> I don't either. Uh, but but the, the real reason why they're having a lot of problems is because people were trying to advance themselves. People were trying to advance their own, their own selves, place themselves above one another instead of concentrating on advancing the gospel. All kinds of issues were happening. And so Paul had to write a letter as the, as the father of all of them, as the, the one who led them to Christ to say, listen, you got to straighten out. This is not what it means to love one another. This is not what it means to follow Jesus. The craziest thing about all of it was that they were taking, they, there was such a problem in this church that they were taking the spiritual gifts. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, the scripture tells us that he gives you gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit that are to be used by each one of us to make the church stronger, to build the church up to, so that the church could be at its fullest peak and be used for God, by God for his mission. And they were taking these gifts and they were actually saying things like, my gift is more important than your gift. Because God gave me this gift, I'm better than you. They were doing, this is how broken this church was. It's hard for us to even imagine this, right? But this is the, this is the context of the letter. But it, it really focuses us as we read it. We're focused more not just to look at this problem of spiritual gifts, but to see what it exposes. And what this letter really exposes is in all of us that we have this way of putting ourselves first. We have this selfishness. We have this way of choosing power over submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so this is where we're at as a people this morning, and we're going to try to look at what Paul says about love and how to live it out in our lives, how to pay this cost of love. And so Paul says before he launches into this section, let me show you a more excellent way than what you've been doing. So this morning, once again, let me tell you a more excellent way to live out this life of love. Now, what he's going to go on and tell us is he's going to tell us how to make a choice, how to make a wise choice at a crossroads that comes in our relationships. That's what's going to happen in the passages we're going to talk about this morning. Paul's going to give us a clear way of how to make a choice at a crossroads that happens in every single one of our relationships. And it's the key. How to make this choice and make this choice well is a key to your relationship being sustained. Your relationship with another person that, you're, that you have mutual love for one another, whether you're married, whether it's a friend, it's a key to making sure that relationship's healthy. 
And here's the thing. This choice that he's going to talk about, that I'm about, to, I'm about to talk about, you did it intuitively when you were dating. You made this choice and you made the right choice intuitively when you were dating. You made this choice correctly and you made the right choice intuitively when you first got married. And you made this choice intuitively when you first met this person, you start, started to be friends. You, met this, you made this choice intuitively when you first came to this church. You made this choice intuitively with me right now as I'm your new pastor. You're being really nice to me, right? This is a, something we do intuitively in our relationships, but something happens. Over time, we stop doing this intuitively. Over time, we start to realize or start to feel inside of us that what Paul's about to suggest today is crazy. And we start to make a different choice. Because most of this passage today that we're going to talk about makes sense. Most of this passage, no one's going to stand up and say, that's crazy, Pastor Dan. There's no way that I could do that. You're going to be like, yes, I get it. And then we get to verse 7. Then we get to verse 7 in this passage this morning. And you're going to think to yourself as you read verse 7, and as I explain to you the way that I believe Paul's trying to convey it in this crossroads, this choice we have to make, that that's the worst advice you could possibly ever give. That's what you're going to think. You're going to think it doesn't seem like good advice whatsoever, but I promise you, it's key to your relationships. It's key to love. And so let's jump in and take a look, starting at verse 4. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. A more excellent way. Paul writes this, love is patient and kind. You can go with that, right? It's pretty good advice. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Nobody seems to be pushing back on that, right? It's pretty clear what love is there. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Now we're getting personal, right? Now we're getting a little personal. In fact, resentful, one translation, I think it's the NIV, translates it that it keeps no record of wrongs. Have you ever heard that before? And if we're honest with ourselves, we're not really good at this all the time. In fact, there's chances, the chances are that somebody in this room, or, or maybe it's your mom, or maybe it's your grandmother at some point, or your, or your father at some point in, in a family background, you know, you, they, were, they were getting into an argument, and, you know, dad and mom were fighting, and then all of a sudden, mom reaches back into this ancient thing and says, well, in 1996, you did this exact same thing, and you apologized then, and guess what? You're doing it again, right? This never happens in anybody else's life, I'm sure, right? Yeah, keeps no record of wrongs. We sometimes have struggled with that. Some of you, you know that there's people in your life that are pros at keeping records of wrongs. But it says love doesn't do that. It goes on. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. We can get on board with that, right? But here it comes. Here's this verse that when we apply it, and I'm going to show you how we're going to apply it today, it seems like the worst advice ever. Verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, what Paul does in this, part, in this part of the passage, what the Holy Spirit led him to do, is to write this sentence. And each of these sections makes sense, but they, they're actually to be taken. All four of these things are to be taken together as what is true of love. And he uses this little tiny Greek word, this Greek word pas, and he, and he uses it over and over again. And here it's translated all things. I like the NIV translation of this, honestly, because I just like the way that it really drives home, I think, what Paul's trying to say about what love is, what's true of love in your relationships. He says it always protects, always trusts, 
always hopes, always perseveres. And because I'm a good pastor, I did something for all of you this week. I pulled out the original language, which is Greek, for this translation. And I wanted to see what pause was, was, was really meant and how we really should translate it. Because I wanted to know, does it really mean always? And guess what? It means always. Yeah, love in your relationships with, with another person always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It always does these things. And listen, this is not an unreasonable optimism. This isn't pie-in-the-sky thoughts, okay? That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that it, 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 in your relationships, there is still accountability, but what always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, tells us about love, is that if you love someone and you're in a relationship with someone, you refuse to take failure as the final answer. Regardless of what happens, you refuse to take failure as final. It's not confidence. And here's the thing. Love. Love always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, always persevering. Love in this sense, it does not have anything to do, just like I talked about last week. I don't believe Paul's saying that love has anything to do with humanity and their ability to make up the difference. It has 100% to do with the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit it, through Jesus' name to transform the hearts of people to love one another in the way that God loved us because that was a command that he gave us. In fact, he said, we'll know, they'll know that you're Christians by your love. A new command I give to you, love one another. And so this ability to take things, not to take failure as a final answer in your relationships, is what love and what, what is true of love always. And that seems like pretty bad advice, doesn't it? Let me go on. This is, this is one, what one commentator said about this, this verse, this verse, this verse 7 always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It is the endurance of a soldier who in the thick of battle is undismayed but continues to fight. What Paul is saying here is love is not overwhelmed, it's trusting, it's optimistic, it's willing to endure persecution. In short, it perseveres. And this doesn't make sense. At first glance, some of you are saying right now, if in my relationships with other people, I am always protecting, I am always trusting, I am always hoping, I am always persevering. Pastor, you are asking me to put myself in a place where I can get hurt. You're putting my, you don't understand the people that I'm in relationship with. I can't trust anyone that much. I can't put that much hope in anyone. This is terrible, terrible advice, Pastor. But this is what Paul's saying. This is what he's saying. He's saying if you love someone that your love always does this. And always means always. Now how does this look at your life? Why is this important? Because as, as I said, this is a choice. This is a choice that each of us make every single day. So to illustrate this to you both, to, to you all, I've asked two people to come up here this morning. Tom and Brooks, come on up. Tom and Brooks, come up. And uh, they've been nice enough to come up to this morning and they have no idea what I'm about to make them do. Because they always trust me, <laughs> right? So, so here's, here's, the re here's the reality of your relationships, okay? Let's start with Brooks. Okay, here's Brooks. Brooks is it when you're in a relationship with somebody, you have expectations of that person. You expect the way that they're going to act. You expect the way they're going to treat you. 
You expect the way that they're going to follow through. You have expectations of that person that you're in a relationship with, whether it's a brother and sister relationship, whether it's a husband and wife relationship, you have expectations. And then, sorry bud, then over here, you have the reality. <laughs> I said I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you have reality, right? You have the reality versus your expectations. And guess what? Guess what's in the middle here? A gap. A gap. And here's the reality. Here's, here's the crossroads. Here's the choice. That in every relationship, there's going to be a gap between expectation and reality. And what 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says is if you follow what God is saying about love, then how you fill that gap comes down to how you follow what God is commanding you to do in this passage. So you have a choice. You can fill the gap between expectations and reality by assuming the best. You can do that. You can always protect. You can always trust. You can always hope. You can always persevere. You can be like that soldier that refuses to give up and be undismayed. And regardless of the fact that there's a gap in my relationship between my expectations and reality, I am going to allow that gap to be filled with love. I'm going to believe the best. I am going to trust that person. Or you have another choice, right? You can look at the expectations and the reality, and you can choose to fill that gap with disbelief. You can say that it's not true. You can fill that gap with, with um, suspicion. You can fill that gap with assuming the worst about the person. And this is a choice that we have to make over and over in our relationships. Let's talk about it this way, right? Um, my wife asked me, this is just a fake story, this never happens. Um, my wife asks me before she leaves the house, hey, the garbage underneath the sink is really starting to stink. Can you tie, this never happens in anybody else's house, so can you tie it up and take it outside before you leave today? And I'm like, she leaves for work first, I'm like, yep, absolutely, I can do that. And then she gets home from work before I do, and the garbage is still underneath the sink stinking, right? And she can fill that gap between expectations and reality with, you know what, if it didn't happen, if it didn't happen, something must have happened crazy with the kids that it, it slipped his mind. Or, you know what, obviously something happened that I know about, I'll find out about it later, that was he wasn't able to do that. I am going to protect, I'm going to trust, I'm going to hope. I know it's a kind of a, a small thing, but this is what she's going to do. Or she can come back into the, she can come back into the house after work and she can say, you know what, he always does this. He never listens to me. He had that phone in his hand when I asked him to do this. And it's obvious he wasn't even paying attention. He just went, uh-huh, I'll take care of it. And, he, and, and you know what? He probably doesn't even know that I asked him to do that. And how, is his nose broken? How can he not smell this? Right? And she can fill the gap with that. She can fill the gap with suspicion. She can fill the gap with assuming the worst. And I know it feels like a small thing, but here's the thing, folks. If we're going to apply this to our relationships, if we're going to admit to one another that in our relationships there is always a gap between our expectations and our reality, we make this choice over and over every single day. Here's another way it works in our church sometimes. If you're in a small group or you're talking to somebody and you share something about something that you're really struggling with, that you need prayer for, and you say, I, I really need prayer for this, I can barely take this anymore, and then 
The next week, somebody comes up to you and they ask you about the thing that you confided in that group about. Maybe even I come up and ask you about that thing that you, you confided in that group about. You never really said it was private, but you just kind of assumed that it would be private. But yet, now somebody else is doing that. And you have the choice in your relationship with the brother and sister in Christ in that moment, as you think about that people in the room, to fill that gap with love and say, you know what? Obviously, they loved me so much. Obviously, they were concerned so much that they got some other of my fellow brothers and sisters to pray for me. Obviously, they know that I need the saints of God to build up a prayer wall around me so that I can overcome this. And praise God that I have a family where every single one of us takes every single need seriously. Or you can say, this is the reason why I don't go to church. This is the reason why I don't even go to group. This is the reason I don't share anything. Because you know what? They're all a bunch of gossips. And people are going to share everything. And my stuff can't be personal here. And you know what? I, I knew it. I knew I never should have opened up about this. I should have been quiet about it. I'm not going to that group anymore. Right? In our personal relationships, we have to make this choice every single day. How are we going to fill the gap? Are we going to fill it between expectations and reality? Are we going to fill it with love? Are we going to always protect? Are we going to always trust? Are we always going to hope? Are we always going to persevere? Or are we going to fill it with suspicion? It's a choice we make over and over again. Thanks, guys. Give them a hand. Aren't they great? Yes. And here's, and here's the thing, here's the thing that, it's not just in scripture that they talk about this. It's not just in scripture, I think it's really interesting. I read this book, I read this book one time called, The One Thing You Need to Know. And this isn't a Christian book, this is a leadership book. And it's a book about how you create your organization to have sustained success over time. Okay? By a man, a man named Marcus Buckingham. But the beginning of this book... What the people that were writing this book and researching this book said is we're going to look at one way that people maintain sustained success, sustained success say that three times fast, in their, in their relationships. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at marriages. And we're going to look at marriages that have lasted a long time. And we're going to do a study. And we're going to find out how it's possible that in a world where there's so much divorce, how people who are married for a long time are able to make sure that they stay married. And you know what they found out? Here's the crazy thing. They didn't find out that there was no gap between expectations and reality in those marriages. They didn't find that. They found that that gap was there, even in the marriages that lasted forever. But, the way, but what they also found out was that the, the, the spouse that chose to make a positive inference about their other spouse's choices on a consistent basis maintained the relationship. In other words, the spouse that chose to apply 1 Corinthians 13, 7 to their spouse on a consistent basis was the key thing that they, they found ended in a sustained relationship. It says this, a spouse's positive illusion, because it is an illusion, right? I mean, let's be honest, it's not necessarily always true, created an upward spiral of love. And that illusion created conviction. And that conviction led to security, that security fostered intimacy, and the intimacy fostered deeper love. And so this study, in the beginning of this book, said you want to know how to maintain a sustained relationship. You fill the gap with this. You find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and choose to believe it. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you're crazy, Dan. You're thinking, I could never do this. 
I could never live this way. You're asking me to open myself up to, to hurt, to pain, to struggle. But here's, the diff- but here's the thing. Love, according to Scripture, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so you have to make a choice if you're going to do this or not. It says, it, they went on and they said, A husband and wife who assumes that their spouse possesses strengths that they think they don't possess themselves will have a strong marriage. So it's possible that even if you're always, always, always is actually a better picture for your spouse than what they even have for themselves, you actually increase their performance in your marriage. Isn't that insane? I know it's true. When my wife thinks that I'm awesome, I feel way better than I think I am. It's just, it's just the reality of things. And it said, instead, of researchers tell us, when you notice a flaw in your spouse, cast it in your mind as a strength. So instead of saying she's impatient, say she's intense. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of saying she's narrow-minded, say she's focused. Initially, this may feel like you're playing mind games with yourself, but you're actually doing something quite clever. Remember, the strongest relationships over time are those in which each partner finds a way to build on his or her idealized image of the other and recast their weakness as strength. Thus, when your idealized image is stronger and more robust with new information, nothing new or any flaw can do anything to the relationship because every failure is reformatted as strength through love. That's what they said in this study. And here's the thing. You can choose to accept this. You can choose to say this is insane. Either choice. But the reality is you can't deny to me this morning that there is always in every relationship an expectation of how that person, and always the reality and how you fill the gap. And guess what? That's the way it is with your relationship with God. There is an expectation, and it's clear in Scripture. I can read in Scripture. You know what God says in Scripture? He says, be holy as I am holy. You know what he says in Scripture? He says, do not murder, do not steal, do not have an idol, do not commit adultery, do all those things. And then Jesus came along in in Matthew chapter 5 and he said, you heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. He says, you've heard it said, do not kill. But I tell you, if you even have anger in your heart for your brother or sister, you've already killed them. The elevation of God's expectation for us is so high, I cannot open this book and allow me, when I read it, for it to read how I act, how I live my life, to realize that there is a gigantic gap between how God calls us to live and the reality of how I live every single day. But you know what, I also know that when I look at love and when I think about love and I look at Jesus, who is the perfect image of love, that every single time that I fail between the gap and the expectation, that he steps in the middle like this and he pays the price for me. And it's his love that always protects, always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres, that allows me to live my life in a better way. And if it wasn't for his grace and his love that stepped in the gap, I would be nothing besides a miserable perishing sinner and if that is who he is and then that is the picture brothers and sisters Christian that he's called us and if that's the picture of love then it's not insane for us to say that when the expectation and the reality cause a gap that I am called to live 1 Corinthians 13 7 love for the person in my life because that's how Jesus lives it for me So, how do you choose to fill the gap? 
If you think about your life, if you think about the people that you love, how do you choose the gap? You know what's crazy? You know, what's, you know what I've realized is that as I've, this is not a new thing for me. I, I came across this a couple years ago, but as I've chosen to do this, you know what I found out? I found out that when I always protect, when I always trust, when I always hope, when I always persevere, when I choose to fill the gap between expectation and reality with, with trust, when I choose to fill that gap with assuming the best about the person, you know what happens to the person that I'm in a relationship with? They start to live in a way where they rise to that level of trust that I give them. They do. Because they love me. Remember, this is a relationship where two people love one another. Where two people are trying to live out the love of Jesus for one another. They always rise up to the occasion. And you know what? When you choose to make the other choice, when you choose to convey regularly in your relationships with people that they will never measure up, you're conveying that that person will never be good enough to fully receive 100% of your love. That's what you're conveying when you fill that gap consistently with suspicion, consistently with, with hoping for the worst, believing that, you know what, the person's going to fail you every moment. When you consistently do that, you convey you're never going to be good enough. In fact, if you consistently are assuming the worst in your relationships, love me when I say this, but I want you to understand, I believe this with all my heart, if you're consistently filling that gap with assuming the worst, then you are contributing to the demise of the relationship between you and the person that you love. That's what you're doing. By making that choice. And before you know it, rather than rising up to the love that you're always protecting, you're always trusting, always hoping, and always persevering, rather than them rising up to that in the relationship, they're going to begin to live out a life of the person that you've already cast them in your mind that they were. Someone who's not trustworthy, someone who can't be failed. And listen, I understand you all have a million stories, but here's the thing. It is impossible for anyone, whether it's me as your pastor and you as someone in our church, whether it's the person sitting next to you, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your child, it is impossible for them to ever be at a place where the expectation you have in your relationship and the reality of who they are, there's no gap. That's impossible. And if it's impossible, then we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. How do I step in that gap? Do I step in with the love that God has called me to, the love that I see in the sa my Savior, Jesus Christ, who each and every day when I get on my knees and I say, Father, forgive me because I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I am a sinner who is saved only by your grace. Please forgive me because the expectation of what you have on me fell so short compared to my reality in my life. So Lord, please forgive me. And day after day, he steps in that gap and he says, my love has done it. In fact, 2,000 years ago, stretched out a cross, he, he said the words, it is finished. That forever, as long as you believe in him as your savior and Lord, that that gap will be filled with his love and his blood poured out on Calvary. And if that is how we are called to live, folks, then he's asking us to live this out in our interpersonal relationships always trust, to always protect it, to trust it, to hope it, to persevere, to never let it go. So how do you choose to fill that gap? How are you filling that gap with the people in your life? Are you applying 1 Corinthians 13, 7? Are you choosing to fill it with distrust? Are you choosing to fill it with suspicion? 
Are you creating relationships that rather than contributing to an upward spiral of love, you're contributing to a downward spiral of that relationship never being healthy? I would commend to you to always, always, always choose love. Build upon the grace of Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life and does every single day. And I believe your relationships will be stronger for it. Let's love set the vision. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your love. I thank you that just at the right time, you came and lived and died for those who were left. So that we would be reunited, redeemed, restored, saved. Father, there's, there's people in this room who are in a myriad of relationships. There are a myriad of relationships, and those relationships have caused hurt. They have caused pain. People have not lived up to the expectation. And this is a hard ask. But Lord, as you call us to be those who love, as you call us to be a church filled with people who are loved by you, therefore are called to love one another, to love our enemies, to do these things that seem so difficult in the flesh, Lord. Allow us to draw on the power of your Holy Spirit to create in us the ability to love, not by our own strength, but through your strength alone. And Lord, this week, even tomorrow, maybe it's this afternoon, maybe it's the drive home, when we have a gap in our relationships with our spouses, when we have a gap in our relationships with our kids, when we have a gap in our relationships with one another in the church, as we begin to continue to live out these one another's that we're called to. Lord, let us choose to always, always, always love in a way that never ends. Because we love you, Lord, and we're so thankful that that's the way you've chosen to love us. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So next week, we're going to finish up with love's, what's love got to do with it. Week three, the rest of 1 Corinthians 13. After that, over the, the course of our uh, Easter season, we're going to be walking through the Apostle John's letter, uh, or John's gospel, and we're going to be looking at the seven signs, the seven miracles that John gives us that tells us that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one he is the one who God has sent to save us. And there's seven miracles in that, uh, in that gospel. And we're going to call this series Impossible. We worship a God of impossible. And I, I hope that you'll come out for that too. It's going to be a great series. Uh, last week as we concluded our services, we had a vote. And uh, despite, I apologize, despite the chaoticness of the vote, we did get a vote. We got a good vote. And we affirmed, as you saw in your bulletin, we affirmed, where is he, Aaron? There he is. Aaron is a deacon. Brian, there he is, as a deacon, and Ken, there he is, as an elder, and so the church spoke, and we're excited to have these men, and next week we're going we're gonna to pray for them, and we're going to install them as, your, as uh, deacons and elders here, so I'm looking forward to that. Thank you all for coming out today, and thank you for joining in, and uh, as you go this week, make that choice to fill this gap. I think it's going to transform some of your relationships. I pray that it will. God bless you all. We'll see you next week.